All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to, see, glad to see you guys here today. <laughs> I can't imagine any reason why you wouldn't be here, right? <laughs> Jesus Christ is my living hope. Amen? Amen. Uh, we are more than conquerors, my friends, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished. But make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. Jesus will use in our lives the things that take place in this world to test our faith. Absolutely. Not because he wants to put you to shame, not because he wants to show you what a miserable sinner you are, right? That comes naturally. It's because he wants your strength to be bolstered. He wants your strength to be made stronger. He wants your faith to increase. And so he allows us to see things and he allows us to go through things that allow that to happen in our lives. You know, any kind of training that you would ever receive, whether it's through the military or some sport or whatever the case may be, you know, if you got there the first day of practice or if you got there the first day of boot camp and the drill sergeant said, listen, guys, this is movie week. All right, we're going to watch some, we're going to watch some Marvel films. We're going to eat some chicken wings. That's right. We're going to take care of you, right? <laughs> you would probably say to yourself, first of all, this is awesome, right? I should have signed up earlier. But secondly, you would say, I'm probably not going to learn to be a soldier here, right? You would expect a drill sergeant to come out to be very, very mean to you, to say horrible things to you, right, and to whip you into shape. That's what they do. That's what a good coach does, right? Uh, well, Jesus is a lot more gentle with us, and he loves us a lot more than any drill instructor or coach, but Jesus wants each and every one of us to be soldiers of the cross, soldiers of the cross of Jesus Christ, ambassadors of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he needs people who are willing to follow him no matter where he leads no matter where he leads, no matter what the cost, that's what Jesus is looking for. Uh, remember when the man approached him and said, I'll follow you anywhere. And Jesus said, really? Because birds of the air have nests and foxes have dens, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place even to lay his head. What he was saying to the guy is count the cost. Count the cost. If you want to be a follower of me, that means you follow me anywhere that I go. Uh, and so appropriately, we are in the book of Numbers, we are in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, and we're going to be finishing up chapter 14 this week. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. Uh, this country has been a country for, what, 250 years, 275 years? Does anyone know the exact number? Something like that, right? 1770. I'm, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at math. Right, 250, give or take. Thank you, doctor. <laughs> um, the children of Israel were in Egypt for 400 years. 400 years. The last three and a hundred and so of which were in bondage, were in slavery. And not just any kind of slavery, not the kind of slavery that they had in ancient Rome, where there was just as many slaves, if not more slaves in Rome than there were citizens of Rome. And they were part of the family. Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, was probably a slave. Um, it was very commonplace. No, 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 this is, the, this is the, the, as bad as it gets slavery where they served with rigor and they were beaten by the taskmasters. And the taskmaster's whip was a common sound. And their lives were taken from them. Their children were taken from them. And their rigor was so hard and so difficult 
that the Bible says that God told Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. They've reached my ears in heaven. The people's suffering was so great that their cries out to God reached his ears in heaven. And at just the right moment in time, of course, which God had planned beforehand in Moses' life, he had Moses prepared. And he had Moses exactly where he wanted him to be for the exact moment in time when the day of deliverance for his people was at hand. And he called Moses out of the burning bush and he sent Moses to Egypt and through many miracles and signs and wonders and things that nobody had ever seen about or even whoever seen or never even heard about before in the history of mankind, God delivered his people just as he said he would. And he brought them out with a mighty hand, as the scripture says, and with an outstretched arm. What that means is God was personally involved. God was there. God had a vested interest in his people being free. God wanted them to be free. How many of you have heard in your history classes that freedom isn't cheap and it isn't easy? And you've heard some of the founding fathers uh, say that if anyone would, was, would be willing to give up necessary freedom for temporary safety, they deserve neither freedom nor safety. What was he saying? What were they saying when they said those kind of things? Freedom is not easy. Freedom is something that has to be fought for. Well, we serve a God who fights for us. We serve a God who's interested in our freedom. Not just the freedom that comes at the hands of men, but the freedom that can only be won by the blood of Jesus Christ because God knows that all mankind to this day lies in slavery. In slavery, in bondage to sin and to death. It's very simple. And people want to play games with the Word of God, and people want to dance around what the Word of God says, but it's very clear as you study the Scriptures. We are all of us, every single man, woman, and child on the face of planet Earth, when we reach that age of accountability, knowing where we are and being responsible for our own actions, we, each one of us, are guilty of our own sin. All have fallen short of the glory of God, the Scripture says. All have sinned. There is no exception. There is no one that stands outside of that condemnation. Every single person is separated from God because of sin. That is the natural state of mankind. God interceded with an outstretched arm, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm again in history when he sent his only begotten son. And you all know the verse that God sent his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And why did he send him? Well, the beginning of the verse says it all. Because he so loved the world. There is no other way. When Jesus Christ was in the garden and he was praying and he was under such stress and such agony because not only did he know and understand what he was about to endure at the hands of the Romans, but he also, way worse than that, he knew and understood at what he was about to endure at the hands of you and me. Because all of our sin... All of our guilt, every bad thing you and I have ever done, have ever thought, will ever do, will ever think, was going to be laid upon him in that hour. And he was going to be made sin for you and I 
so that even his father in heaven, who he counted on for every breath that he took and for every word that he spoke, would turn his back on his only son because God cannot be in the presence of sin. Sin and God cannot be in the same place at the same time. That's why he could not look at his son. He had to turn his back on his only son who he loved. And that's why Jesus cried out because he was immediately aware that the presence of his father had left him. And he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lost without the presence of God. That's what he saw in the Garden of Eden. That's what he anticipated in the Garden of Eden. And that's why he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The capillaries in his forehead burst and the blood mingled with the sweat that he was sweating profusely that night for you and I and for what he was about to endure. And he said to his father, if there's any other way, please, please, if there's any other way, Father, that they can be saved, if there's any other way that a man or a woman can enter into the throne room, can enter into eternal life, can have a relationship with, if there's any other way, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And God's will was done upon his own son for you and for me. Because, friends, there was no other way. There is no other way. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Each of those is a singular. I am the only way, I am the only truth, and I am the only life. And no one, Jesus Christ said, can go to the Father except through me. So many other ways have been offered. So many other ways have been suggested, laid side by side, parallel as it were to our eyes even, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about it, Jesus said there is only one way. And he encouraged his disciples to enter through the narrow gate, where the, narrow, the gate is narrow and the path is difficult. Because that is the path to eternal life, and there are few that find it. He said, but broad is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And many, many go therein. That is a heartbreaking truth for you and I. That is a heartbreaking truth. To know that the people around us who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's not because they're bad people. It's not because they're not wonderful people. But you see, what determines righteousness is how it adds up or how it stands besides God's righteousness. We can compare, and this is what we often do in our culture, in our society, within ourselves even, we compare our righteousness to that of other people. And you can do a very good job at justifying yourself that way, depending on who you compare yourself with. But when we line up next to Jesus Christ, and we look into his wonderful face, and we see what he did, and what he spoke, and what he said, we are all of us undone. And that sounds like, man, this is the worst message I've ever heard in my life. Like, why don't you just come around and punch everybody, right? 
No, 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 no. There is no news so wonderful as that which comes after bad news. <laughs> if you get a diagnosis, cancer, it's cancer. There's cancer in your body. The heaviness of heart that goes along with that, the sadness, the despair even. But on that day when the doctor says to you, you are cancer-free, you feel joy like you have never felt before in your life. And friends, every single person on planet Earth has the cancer of sin. And it's far more deadly. It's far more subtle. And Jesus Christ is the only cure. And he cures entirely. And it's not based upon how much money you have. It's not based upon all the, how many good deeds you've done. It's not based upon how much you deserve it. It's completely based upon whether or not you choose to believe in what he said. And so God reached out after 400 years and he delivered his people from Egypt. And he brought them out of that place. And he brought them through the Red Sea. And he brought them to Mount Sinai. And there he gave them the law and his commandments. And of course, the people said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. You ever say that to yourself? I'll do everything you want me to do, God. And then five minutes later, <laughs> right? Five minutes later, you know, for me, it's the hours of self-loathing at three in the morning. And I went, oh, 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 woe is me. You know, I'm undone, a man of unclean lips. And I'm praying to the Lord and saying, oh, Lord, I can't believe you don't kill me. You know what I mean? It's one of those, and I have all the way to the world and feeling all of the guilt of my own imperfection and the shortcomings in my own life. But it's a funny thing. By lunchtime, I'm good. You know what I'm saying? As I sit there eating my giant roast beef sub with Andy Cap hot fries and a giant Snapple, suddenly I feel wonderful about myself again. And all the ways that I know I've disappointed everyone around me just wash away. We have an amazing propensity for that, don't we? To forget. To forget. To take for granted even what God has done. And so the people stand at the foot of Mount Sinai, all oh, that the Lord has asked of us, we will do. <laughs> I mean, all of it, not just some of it, all of it. And then they got sick of the manna. <laughs> or then they were thirsty. And then this, and then that, and immediately they turned back to their natural way, which was unbelief and grumbling. Unbelief and grumbling. And now in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, here they stand on the border of the promised land that God had promised to Father Abraham hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier and said, this is the land that I'm going to give to your descendants as an inheritance. And then he reiterated that promise again to Joseph and he reiterated that promise again to the people through Moses. And now he's brought them out of bondage. He's brought them through the desert. And he's brought them right to the border of the promised land to enter in, to take possession of it. And they send spies in the land and they see all of the goodness and they see all of the wonder of it. But the only thing that they can focus on, the only thing that they pay attention to, the only thing that captivates their thoughts is how difficult the way. Is how difficult the way. And you wonder, Moses must have been saying, was I the only one at the Red Sea? 
Like, was I the only one there? Like, did you guys forget that there was a, a sea in front of you and the Egyptian army behind you? You were like literally between that rock and a hard place. It was death before and death behind. And there was no chance and there was no way and it was impossible. And God opened up the Red Sea. And now you stand at the, at the border of the promised land. And you won't believe because of a couple of giants. Because of small difficulty. You won't believe. And you'll turn back from entering into the inheritance. And so, you know the story, the, the 12 spies come back and the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, give a good report. These people are bred for us. God has given this land to us. Let's go up and let's take it. And 10 other spies say, there's no way. We can't beat them. We can't defeat them. It's too hard. It's too difficult. Even with God's help, it doesn't make any difference. We cannot defeat these people. And they infect the entire nation with the sickness of fear and the sickness of unbelief. And everybody loses heart. Everybody loses heart. Does any of this sound familiar? Everybody loses heart. They all run to Wegmans to stock up on manna. <laughs> They're punching. This is God. I got the manna, you know. Whoa. Just like that. Just like that, unbelief. And they're ready to pick up stones and stone Joshua and Caleb and Moses to death in order to not inherit the promise God gave them. God says, stand back, Moses. I'm going to smoke these people. And I'm starting over with you. And make no mistake about it, God makes these statements to bring something out of his saints. It's not because he doesn't know. God knew exactly where the people were at, and God knew exactly what Mo, where Moses was at, and God wanted to bring out of Moses the heart of Jesus Christ that he knew was there. And Moses had that same heart for his people, and that's what God brought out. Stand back, Moses. I'm going to smoke them. I've had it. And Moses says, don't do that, God. Your promises, your love towards your people, which you've already done, it's so wonderful. Now, don't, don't let the Egyptians say it was only to kill them that he brought them out into the wilderness because he was unable to bring them into the promised land. Lord, your name, Moses, was jealous for God's glory. He said, no, let, let no one dishonor your name, Father. Let no one blaspheme you by saying you were not able to bring your people in. Have your way with us, God, but you be glorified in this. God said, that's right. Amen. And so he did forgive, but he said these people will not enter in to the promised land. And I want to pick up verse uh, 34 of chapter 14. Well, let's back up a little bit more. <laughs> verse 30, 32, but as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness. I like how God, you know what a carcass is, right? You know what, a, you ever been on the, you know, on the side of the road? That's a carcass, right? And, and, and when God calls a living person your carcass, you ever... You ever get up in the morning and look in the mirror and go, it's not, not a bad carcass there. That's not a bad carcass. Joe Foch does an awesome thing on the whole thing on the, uh, the carcass, you know. Think of the things that we do for our carcass. <laughs> we get makeup to pretty up the carcass. We buy weight loss pills to thin down the carcass, right? We're so, so meticulous about what we do for our beautiful carcass, right? 
God says, your carcasses are going to fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each day you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. Let's skip down to verse 39. God has made his proclamation. I brought you out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and a mighty and outstretched arm. I delivered you from the Egyptians. I brought you through the sea. I gave you my law at Mount Sinai. I fed you in the wilderness with manna. I gave you water to drink from the rocks. And I've told you I was going to bring you into a promised land. And now I have brought you here and you won't enter in. And therefore, you're not going to enter in. But your children of whom you said they're going to die in the desert. No, they're going to enter in. But you, your carcass is going to fall in the desert. God has made his voice clear. Moses, in verse 39, told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. And Moses said, Now why do you transgress the command of the Lord? For this will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. Here's the reason why. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Is this clear? You, you, you guys get the message what, what God's saying here to the children of Israel, right? But they didn't. Now, the very reason that they find themselves in this predicament and in this situation is because they despised the word of the Lord. They didn't adhere. They didn't listen to what God had said, even his promises. All they could see was the life around them and the difficulty around them. And so they balked at the promises of God and they reject God's word. And so God says, you reap what you sow. And so in light of that, this is what's going to happen. You're going to wander in the desert. Your children are going to grow up being shepherds 40 years. And then they're going to go into the promised land. And now the people turn around and in their own sense of piety, reject God's word again. In their own demonstration of religion, they reject God's word again. Why do you transgress and command the command of the Lord? This will not succeed. Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. The Lord is not with you, verse 44. But they presumed. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, here it is. Neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as, far as Hormah. So in verse 39, the people now practice their own religion based on the one true God, man's attempt to reach Jehovah, but on their own terms. On their own terms. I I love it how in verse 40, they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain as though it was Mount Sinai. They're going to duplicate what God did in the desert. We're going to practice that same old time religion, but we're going to do it in accordance with our own will. 
God's got to come along with us, you see. I've got a plan for my life. I know the way things need to be, and God needs to understand that, and God needs to come alongside me. I don't need to adhere my life entirely to his word. I would expect that God's word would conform to my life. And that's never the way it works, my friends. That is never the way that it works. And so they go up on a mountain, but it ain't Mount Sinai. And they presume to follow after God, but it's against his word. And so God's not with him. Remember Cain. Goes all the way back to the very, very beginning. After the fall of man, God institutes the shedding of innocent blood for the remission of sins. How do we know that? Because the Bible says that God made animal skins for Adam and Eve to wear. Now, how do you suppose he made them? It wasn't bloodless. And thereby he showed Adam and Eve what the result of sin was. And that the only way for there to be a forgiveness of sin was through the shedding of blood. There had to be judgment. There had to be a penalty that had to be paid for sin, for wickedness. And so animal sacrifice is instituted all the way back at the very beginning. And Abel understood this, and he was a shepherd of the flocks, and he would bring from his flocks and offer them as sacrifices. But Cain brought, you remember, the fruit of the field. He brought the fruit of the field, and he would offer that to God. And the Bible says that he was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but Cain's sacrifice he rejected entirely. And what was Cain's response to God rejecting his sacrifice? He was angry. How dare you, God? Don't you know I'm trying my best? God, don't you know my intentions are good? God, don't you understand? God, you need to take into account. God, on the teeter-totter of life, God... God understands what his word says. And God expects every single person who would come to him to live their lives according to it. And there's no exceptions to that rule. And so he tells Cain, why are you mad at me? <laughs> why is your face downcast? It's very simple. If you do right, will you not be accepted? No, God, you're a bully. <laughs> you don't like me because my hair. <laughs> you don't like me because my animal skins are stinky or whatever. Whatever reason, God doesn't like... No, no, no. God is not going to accept from you that which comes from your own flesh. He wants what he asked for in his word. You remember... Uh, when they're instituting tabernacle worship and the sacrificial system, and it's, and it's first going into effect, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron, who was the high priest, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, the Bible says that they offered up profane fire before the Lord. Now, there was a specific set of incense that was supposed to be burnt before the altar of God at the, prayer of, uh, the altar of incense, and Nadab and Abihu apparently offered up some extra stuff. This is really going to be nice. This is, going to be, this is going to be wonderful too. And so they put things within the incense or within the sacrifice that was not what God had prescribed. And the Bible says that fire came out from the presence of God, from the holy place, and consumed them. Can you imagine that? My goodness gracious. What was God showing the people? What I said is what I expect you to do. There's two responses to that. Okay, or, that's not fair. God, you're mean. I don't like that. There's two responses to have. Obedience or disobedience. Isaiah chapter 29 verse 13 says, Therefore the Lord has said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, 
and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. The commandment of men. The way that they approach me, the way, the way that they say that they have a relationship with me is just through a bunch of stuff that's been instituted and commanded by men. This is the constant fight that Jesus Christ had with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. Why don't your disciples wash their hands? Or I can't find that in Mount Sinai. I don't understand. What are you talking about? You teach for doctrine the traditions of men. And Jesus had much more harsh things to say to them. These were the religious leaders in Israel. You go all over heaven and earth to make a proselyte of the faith, and when you finally find him, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. Ooh, you brood of vipers. You're like a whitewashed tombstone, clean on the outside, and on the inside it's just full of rotting dead man's bones. Ooh, that doesn't sound like gentle Jesus, sweet and kind. You're like a cup that's clean on the outside, but on the inside is full of abomination. Your religion is worthless if it doesn't come from your heart. God can do nothing with the outward uh, actions that we do presuming to serve God. What God is looking for is a contrite heart, a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He's looking for obedience. Uh, verse uh, Luke chapter uh, 6, Gospel of Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? This is during the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching the people that their relationship with God is based on what is happening in their heart, not how they act in front of men. You remember the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about when you fast, don't put on a long face and look depressed. What's going on? Uh, I'm fasting for the Lord. You see, you've got your reward in full right there. That's not for the Lord. When you're fasting, wash your face. Anoint yourself with oil. Go out with a smile on your face that no one knows that you're fasting except for your Father in heaven, and then you'll receive a reward from Him. And when you pray, don't stand on the street corners like the religious hypocrites do who think they will be heard because of their many words. But go in the closet. Go in the quiet place in your home secretly and pray to your heavenly Father, and you have your reward in heaven. And it's in the midst of telling him all these things, he says, why do you call me Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? There's no such thing as not so Lord. If he's our Lord, the only answer is yes. Yes, Lord, yes. They go up to the mountain, but it's not Mount Sinai. They make proclamations to God before men, but it's not based on his word. And in practicing their own form of godliness, they deny the power therein, which is the power of obedience, and God cannot go with them. But they presume to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And so they suffered defeat at the hands of the enemy. God's word is God's word. And he does never, never, never give us any, any uh, wink or nod or anything to disobey what his word says. Now we do. I mean, maybe it's just me. But I do things that I know are wrong every single day. Whether it's a thought, whether it's an outburst, or whether it's an action. Every single day I fall short of the glory of God. You're never, ever not going to fall short of the glory of God. You're never, ever not going to sin until Jesus Christ comes again. But what Jesus Christ expects of us 
not asks, expects of you and I is that we acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our sin. I'm a sinner. I sin. I fall short of the glory of God. God, forgive me because he has through the blood of Jesus Christ. God, give me the power to have victory over sin in my life. And that's followed by actions. When Jesus Christ said, if your right eye causes you to sin, I want you to gouge it out and throw it into the fire. Oh, that's, that, thank you, thank you. I'm going to go be a Buddhist now. Right? I, I don't want, whatever that religion is, sign me out, okay? I'm gouge, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it into the fire. He said, it's better to go into heaven with one eye or one hand than to go two-eyed and two-end into the fires of hell. What was Jesus talking about? Of course not literally gouging out your eyes. If there's something in your life, no matter how near and dear to you it may be, that is causing you to sin against your heavenly Father, cut it out of your life. Why do you think he uses your right hand to your right eye? Do you suppose that would be, you'd miss those, right? I mean, I would. I would would never want to cut off my hand. But here's what Jesus is saying. How badly do you want me? How badly are you after the things of God and after the kingdom of heaven? There should be nothing in our lives that we would be unwilling to put on the altar to draw ourselves closer to the Lord God. And always, again, this goes along with faith. You have to remember what the Bible says in Jeremiah. I know the thoughts that I have towards you, right? Thoughts to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. Anything that God asks from you, anything that God asks for you to do, is always to draw you closer to the kingdom. It's always to draw you closer to his presence. Always. The issue is, where are my priorities? And I confess to you, oftentimes, not where they ought to be. They lie flat smack dab on me is where my priorities are every day. You have to make the conscious effort and decision to get your focus off of yourself. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to do. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word, Lord God, and for the example from the Scriptures, Father, of, um, in this case, how not to be, Lord. Uh, We ask and pray, Lord, that you would help us to never waver in unbelief, but in every aspect of our lives, Lord, we would seek to conform our hearts and our lives and and our daily actions, Lord, into what your Word commands us and what your Word has said, Father, uh, that you'd give us uh, transparent hearts, Lord, to be willing to confess to you the things in our lives that don't add up and that don't line up, and to seek with all of our hearts, Lord, to make them right, because you're worth it. Uh, You're worthy of the sacrifice, Lord, of these things from our lives. You're worthy of our praise and adoration. And you're worthy of us, Father, of us obeying your word and adhering to the truth and not allowing any compromise in our lives, Father. So we pray that you would help us to be those kind of people, Lord. We need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to be what you've called us to be. We can't do it alone, Lord. And we know that your Spirit is present to touch us and to heal us and to grow us in the faith. And we ask that you would do so today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to have the ushers come on up. We're going to share communion. <clears throat> now listen, I, I want to preface this by saying, and I probably shouldn't even put this into the picture, but that's it, me, so I can't help myself. If you're uncomfortable, okay, about sharing, we're all passing this around, and if you're, un, if you're uncomfortable, it's okay. 
All right, it's okay. No, there's no lightning. There's no judgment. There's anything like that. Um, everything was prepared with washed hands. <laughs> okay, uh, everything's okay. This is about you and Jesus Christ. That's what communion is about. Every single time we share it, it's never. It can never be tradition. It can never be a religious activity. It has to be. I want to share a meal with Jesus Christ. I believe that when Jesus Christ instituted the Last Supper, when he instituted uh, communion at the Last Supper, I believe that it was for me. And I believe that where we are gathered in his name, there he is in the midst of of us, just as his word promised. And as we break this bread and share this cup together, in Jesus' name, honoring what he sacrificed for us, the shedding of his blood, the breaking of his body, that he's here in the midst of us and he's sharing this meal with us. This sacrament was given to us by Jesus Christ. This isn't something that was made up by men. This isn't something that came after the fact. This is from Jesus' mouth to his disciples and for you and I as well to share in this. So that's how we ought to share of it, okay? And if you can't do that because you're, you're loaded down with fear and stuff like that, and I'm not, I'm, please don't misunderstand anything that I'm saying. Don't feel as though you have to do anything. This is very important for me. Okay, it's very important for me that everybody understands that everything that you do for the Lord God has to be from your heart. It has to be a true act of worship. It has to be an act of relationship. It can't just be because I'm supposed to, because I oughta. It has to be, God, this is from me to you in accordance with what your word has said. You have to have all those three components, guys. You have to have that. God's word, your faith, and acting in obedience dovetails into God's power in your life. That's the way it works. It's the only way it works. So that's the spirit I want to share it it with you guys. And come on up, guys, and we'll, we'll pass these bad boys out.